It's great to be here today with you guys. Um, I want my wife just to come up here and introduce herself and kind of share. I asked Pastor John if we could just share a couple minutes of a ministry we're involved in and some things God's doing all over America. This is great time to be alive as a church. Can you say amen as a believer? Come on, say it's a great time to be alive. All right, babe. Good morning. So my name is Patrice. Um, I've been a part of the Brown Miller clan for almost 34 years. It is not for the faint of heart. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'll share a quick story. The first, the first Christmas time um, I got with all these guys, John was there and we were in college together. I don't even know Gwen. I knew who you were, but I don't know if you guys were even dating at that point or whatever, but we had this crazy Christmas celebration and I was so overwhelmed by the energy and the loudness and um, but it was just so much fun, and I'm just honored to be a part of this family. They are amazing, um, just a legacy in the Brown and the Miller family, and I'm so appreciative and blessed to be a part of that. So um, I just want to honor Pastor John and Gwen for having us today. And our children are always in our church. Um, our oldest son, Davis, and his wife, Caitlin, are here with us today. Davis is probably still taking his break, but um, you know how PKs are. <laughs> so anyway, but um, Luke, Heath, uh, Mark, and their wives, and Brooke, we honor you and all the grandchildren that I've lost count of um, so much. But what an what amazing family you have as your pastors and just be sure this is Pastor's Appreciation Month. Please be sure to honor them and tell you how much you love them. Take them out to eat. Give them money. Buy them flowers for Glenn. Do all this stuff. Pastoring is 24-7. No, they didn't even ask me to say any of this. I know, we know from which we speak. Pastoring is a difficult job, so just, just bless them this month especially. So very quickly, I want to share just a couple of minutes about an amazing organization that we are partnering with since 20, early 2021. And uh, basically, it started out as a, as a women's movement called the Her Voice Movement, um, just bringing freedom to women to help them um, just just mobilize in their walk with Christ, their community, their church, their family, and give women a voice for, for the kingdom. And um, it has really kind of morphed into something different that we're so excited about. But basically right now, it's really about prayer, revival, and reformation for this nation. I don't know if you've watched the news ever, but this nation is in crisis. Um, we, anybody agree with that? We've got some really difficult things happening in our nation. And if the church doesn't rise up and take it back, I feel like um, we're, we're close to, to our children, grandchildren for sure, not even having an America that we recognize, that we grew up in. I feel like it's already different than the America I grew up in. Anybody else? Our, our nation has changed. And uh, specifically, um, we've started a part of the movement is called Don't Mess With Our Kids. And so um, in April in April of 2024, we are mobilizing on all 50 state capitals for a two-hour prayer rally, all 50 states at 12 noon in your, each one in their time zone. And Phil and I will be taking a group to Austin, and we are going to pray. One thing I love about this movement, it is Holy Ghost. And, you know, I heard... I heard um, 
Luke's wife, Sam, being Pentecostal. We have a Pentecostal distinctive, and that's being filled with the power of the Holy, Holy Spirit, with the evidence of speaking in tongues. And we are going to pray. We are going to worship. We are going to intercede for this nation. And um, then we have already turned in permits for we're hoping to get granted the date of October 12th, 2024. And we are going to do a 2 million person march. It's actually, we're calling it 1 million voice. It's her voice movement, but 1 million voices. And um, we are calling the Esters of this nation for such a time as this. Basically, think of how Promise Keepers had the Million Man March at the mall in D.C. back in the day. Anybody remember that? But we're calling for 2 million. We're going to have a million praying Esters and a million Mordecais. The men are joining us. And um, we are, are... I'm determined, I'm determined and I'm convinced and I'm speaking at faith that that moment in history, it will actually be Yom Kippur if we get granted that date, that we're going to see this nation turn, that God is going to hear our cries, we're going to see a shift and something is going to change in the heavenlies as we gather. So if you would like any information, just see me about that. I've got websites you can visit um, and you can you can just go to um, don'tmesswithourkids.us. And there's tons of information there. And if you'd like to go with us to Austin, um, we'd love to, to hook you up and, and do that as well as D.C. So thank you so much. Hey, man. Hey, stand with me if you would. Well, it is so, so good to be here. I believe God is going to do something awesome in this place today. I believe God's going to do something awesome in your life today. I believe this is a moment in time that you are here on purpose with a purpose. Can you say that? Say, I'm here on purpose, with a purpose. Well, grab your Bibles and turn with me. We're going to read the word here in just a minute. That's why you're standing. Um, Luke 5, 37, I think it's going to be on the screen behind me in just a minute. But I want to just give us a little bit of context for this scripture. It's a familiar story. If you've been in church, you've heard this saying before. But this context of this is Jesus has just been accused of hanging out with unchurched people been hanging out with the lost people, and he was, he was called a, a wine-bibber. He was called someone, just all kinds of names because he was just hanging out with lost people and reaching lost people. And so the religious people of his day got mad because Jesus was feasting when traditionally they should have been fasting. It was a Jewish fast season, and here is Jesus feasting with, with sinners, with lost people. And see, they had lost the heart of God, the religious people, because they were no longer listening to the heart of God. And my prayer is today that we posture ourselves to hear what God is saying. That in this season, we are posturing our hearts to hear what God is saying to the church, to individuals, to your life in this season. And I know you know this because Pastor John has taught you this, and by the way, Pastor John, thank you. Pastor Gwen, thank you for allowing us to be here. Um, you know, John's one of my favorite cousins. I love him. We were roommates in, in college. This is an amazing pastor you have. Come on, can we just give Pastor John and Pastor Gwen a round of applause? Just say we appreciate them. And I kind of piggyback on the back of what Patrice said. This is Pastoral Appreciation Month. You better honor your pastors because you got some great ones. Come on, how many of you think you got some great pastors? Okay, well, you know what? The proof isn't you raising your hand. It's what are you going to do for him this month? Okay, let me move on here. All right. But I know Pastor John has taught you this because I, I know he's a great Bible teacher. But see, there's a difference between listening and hearing. Jesus said, he who has ears to hear, 
let him hear. And this little kid, I used to think that was crazy. God, I have ears. What do you mean hearing? I'm hearing. But see, there's a difference between listening and hearing. You see, I can listen to my wife speaking, but I can be like Charlie, the adults on Charlie Brown. How many old people? That's what I'm hearing. That's what I'm listening to, but I'm not really hearing because I haven't postured my heart to listen and to understand what she is really trying to communicate with me. So see, there's a difference today. Your, your ears are going to be listening, but I want your heart to hear what I believe God wants to encourage you with as his son and his daughters because there are champions in this room. There are mighty men and mighty women of God that God is raising up in this season that we're going to see the heart of a nation turn back to him. Can you say amen? So here's the scripture. Luke chapter 5, verse 36 to 39. It might be on the screen behind me. But he says, Jesus gives this illustration. He spoke to them in this parable. He said, no one puts a piece from a new garment on an old one. Otherwise, the new makes a tear, and also the piece that was taken out of the new does not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, or else the new wine will burst the wineskin and be spilled, and the wineskin will be ruined. But new wine must be put into new wineskins, and both are preserved. And no one having drunk old wine immediately desires new, for he says the old is better. Let me pray. Father, thank you for the power of your word. Thank you for spiritual ears to hear today in Jesus' name. You agree with me? Say amen. You may be seated. So what can we learn from this parable? Listen, if we want transformation, if we want change in our lives, then we're going to have to do something. See, surrender in this season God is asking more of in your life. See, there's areas of our life in this season that we have to die to. We've got to let go of the old so the new can come forth. And see, wine is the symbol of the Holy Spirit or the presence of God. And it's an indication of of transformation. Listen, everything the Holy Spirit touches changes. And the process of making new wines is literally, it's breaking down the whole into small parts and taking those small parts and integrating them back into a new whole. That's the process of winemaking. And Jesus makes this statement. He says, but new wine or transformation, because that's what new wine was symbolic of, transformation, must be put in new wineskin. I want you to notice Jesus said must be. Say that after me, must be. This is... Not an option. There's no way around this. If you want the new, it must be placed in a new skin, a new wine skin. No death, no new wine skin. See, there will be no ability in our life to contain the new wine, the new spirit, what God wants to do in the new, the transformation, if we're not developing or not literally dying to something. Let me be clear. New wine skin you got to hear this. New wineskin is not about the new being better than the old. That's not what this is about. It's not about the new being better than the old and we got to leave the old. That's not what Jesus is talking about here in this, this illustration here. He's simply saying the new or the next that's coming in your life, that's what I want for you. Again, notice he says this. No one having drunk the old wine immediately desires the new one. He says, man, if you taste it, now, I'm not a, a wine drinker. We don't drink in our household. If you do, okay, that's between you and Jesus. 
But they say, who's they? I have no idea. But they say, old wine is, is the best. And so they knew that because they said anybody that drinks the old wine says, hey, this new wine isn't very good. Now listen to me, unless, everybody say unless, unless Jesus is in it. Do you remember the story of Jesus turning the water into wine? And the head host came to him and said, wow, this is amazing. You've saved the best for last. See, when Jesus is in it, he transforms it. And Jesus is simply saying here through this illustration, through this story, through this parable that he's sharing, the old way can no longer fit through the door of new transition that God is opening up for you. You must leave the old behind if you want to embrace the new. See, God does the transformation, but your part is the renewing of your mind. God will not transform you without your cooperation. See, there's your part, and there's God's part. I love the the Lord's Prayer in the Message Bible, the Message Translation in Matthew 6, 14 through 15, it says this, in prayer there's a connection between what God does and what you do. You can't forgive others, for instance, or God can't forgive you, for instance, without you also forgiving others. If you refuse to do your part, you cut yourself off from God's part. See, you must kill your old self, your old patterns, your old way of thinking. If we do not commit it to a new pattern, you're always going to go back to the old pattern. And this is what God is saying. There's a new pattern I'm wanting to do in you. Every transformation, every revival has a pattern. And it's this, repentance. It's getting rid of the old patterns, developing new mindsets, developing new ways of doing something. Because, see, we desire Every one of us in here, we desire the new. We desire revival. We've talked about revival since I was a little kid. But to have revival, you've got to let go of something. You've got to let go of some old mindsets, some old beliefs, some old patterns, the old way of doing things. You're going to have to get a new skin. Heard the, the saying, you got skin in the game. Well, that's what it's about because I've, I've given something of myself to this. But I find it interesting here what Jesus is talking about, the Greek word for new and old. When you study that out, it does not merely mean age. We're not talking about 60 years old being better than 20 years old. That's not what he's talking about here. What he's talking about is the nature of something, the essence of something, or the characteristic of something. God is simply saying, if we're going to embrace the new, how God is moving in this next season, we must get a new skin. For only a new skin is flexible enough to contain the fermentation or the stretching or the transformation that the new wine or the spirit brings. See, the new is about the death of something old. We must kill our old ways. We must kill our old ways of thinking. See, wine traditionally is a central symbol for transformation. And partially fermented wine, or what they called the must, was stored in a wineskin. But as the fermentation process continued, the breaking down of that, it produced more gases and so stretched the wineskin, which was made from the skin or the hide of a goat or a lamb. See, an old skin, which was no longer elastic, could not stretch for this new wine. So he needed to use new skins 
for the current year's wine production. And Jesus is simply saying this, in order to handle the new I want to do in your life, you're going to have to kill some old you. You're going to have to kill some flesh. You're going to have to kill some pride. You're going to have to kill some self-centeredness. You're going to have to let some of those old sins that you've wrestled with and that we've learned in church just to manage instead of getting free from and delivered from, we've learned to manage a lot of our sins. Well, I got depression. Well, get delivered from depression. I'm not condemning you. I'm saying there's a solution to that. So, but if we're stuck in the old way of thinking, pretending that we're in the new one, you know what that, that's called? That's called religion. That's not revival. That's not transformation. See, religion says to be content with you are. The Spirit says, come, there's more. There's more. And so we often want the more, but we're unwilling to allow the Holy Spirit to change to position us for more, so we're stuck in an old wineskin. And this Holy Spirit, he's here today to give you a new wineskin or a new way of thinking and relating and releasing God in your life in this season of your life. God is simply saying, I'm trying to get you to move forward, chapel. I'm trying to get you to move forward because there's a lost world around you that needs you. And listen, God's simply saying, I'm done with the old. Now hear me. Not that the old was bad. You know, sometimes when the new comes, we think, oh, that was so bad. Listen, God isn't saying that the old is bad. You know, give me that old-time religion. I don't want that old-time religion. That was good. It's not that it's bad. But God's saying, I'm doing a new thing. Can you not hear it? Do you not perceive it? And in order to embrace the new, God is simply saying, I've got to kill some things in you. You're going to have to put some flesh to death. Because he's saying, I'm, I'm just doing this in a new way. And I'm trying to get you to the next. And the next will always require something out of us that the last season never did. The cutting away of our sin nature, the cutting away of pride, the cutting away of flesh, the cutting away of some of our religion to release a new revival, to release a new transformation that he's wanting to do, a new skin that contains the new revival, the new spirit, the new transformation always requires the death of flesh. Jesus said in Matthew 15, 8, these people draw near to me with their lips. we got a lot of great worship going on in the churches all across America. Our worship in America has gone to a whole new level. But Jesus said, you people, you, you honor me with lips, but your heart is far from me. You've not allowed me to circumcise areas of your heart. You said, God, you can have all that, but you can't have this. And God is calling forth in this season what you've held from him. He's coming after it with a vengeance. Because it's not about you, it's about the new you. Here's what I love, this is a crazy scripture. The Bible says, rend your hearts and not your garment. Do you know what, that's, that's what the word rend means? Listen, rend means to literally rip in pieces, separate by force, to violently tear apart. Sounds like making new wine, doesn't it? See, you got to kill something. You got to kill some old way of thinking. Only intimacy with God can satisfy you. And this is why we must pursue His presence. Are you with me? We all must hunger and thirst for more of God. Come on, say this with me. Say, I'm hungry for God. Say, I'm hungry for more of God. 
Come on, look at the person beside you and say, I'm just hungry for more of God. Now, come on, just tell them, say, there's more, there's more, there's more. Because, see, physical hunger, here's how physical hunger eats. And you can tell I'm, I'm good at physically eating, right? Physical hunger is like this. I get hungry, and what do I do? I eat. And after I eat, I'm satisfied. Oh, I push back from the table, and okay, well, unless you're at Thanksgiving, then you just stay at the table all day, don't we? All right. But spiritual hunger is this. I get hungry, and so I feast on his presence. I feast on his word. And then I say, I am not satisfied. God, I'm more hungry. And so, God, I want more of you. I get more dissatisfied when I'm feasting on spiritual things. I'll never get content because I'm hungry. God, this is not satisfying me. I want more. I want more. I want more. Because there's always more in the kingdom of God. There's always more to God than you've yet experienced. There's a deeper level. There's a deeper realm. There's a deeper understanding than you've yet understand. And that comes by hunger because hunger attracts the presence of God like faith does. When you get hungry, I'm telling you, God is getting ready to draw near to your life because hunger attracts the presence of God. Let me give us a challenge because the more hunger, hungry, I guess, excuse me, the more hungry you become, I just want to say this, this isn't fun. The more Demand is going to be put on your life to build an altar of prayer to lay your flesh and sacrifice your life upon. Maybe that's why we don't want to get hungry, do we? Because flesh cannot survive where there's hunger, spiritual hunger. Listen, the word flesh means this. It represents our sin nature. Hear me as it lives independent from the control of the Holy Spirit. You see, we've made sins, big sins. Well, I don't do that, I don't do that. But let me ask you, is your life under the control of the Holy Spirit? Are you letting him lead your life, guide your life? Are you hearing his voice? Are you following him? Because it's very easy to get on autopilot, isn't it? See, God is rending, he's demanding a new commitment out of us, a new sacrifice in this season. And I just want to tell you, certain things of the old, they don't die easily. It's hard. But if we're going to pursue his presence, a demand or sacrifice really isn't a demand or a sacrifice. It's an invitation into a greater experience with God. It's always an invitation. So what do we must do to begin shifting or preparing for the new? Here's what we got to do. We got to get hungry. Come on, say this when we say, I'm getting hungry. I know it's almost 12 o'clock. I know you. I'm not talking about your belly. Okay. But hunger moves the heart of God like faith does. So here's how we develop a deeper hunger, a deeper intimacy with God. First of all, it's hunger for more of his presence. Come on, say, I want God. I want more of his presence. Come on, can we say that again? Say, I want more. I want more of his presence. Come on, are you just, are you feeling that? I just feel the hunger level rising in this place today. Jesus said this, I am the bread of life. Because see, the strength of a church is not its budget. The strength of a church, it's not its facilities. The strength of a church is not even its preaching, even though Pastor John is an amazing preacher. The strength of a church is its prayer closet. It's how much time are we spending in the presence of God. About a year and a half ago, I, I do most of 
the cooking in our house, and it just works for Patrice and I. I love cooking. I, I, if I wasn't a pastor, I probably would have been a chef. I just love cooking. But we brought a bread machine, and if you ever smelled fresh bread cooking in a house, oh, my goodness. You walk in, it's like, wow, this smells so good. Fresh bread smells amazing. How many of you remember as a kid walking into the house when mama was cooking? Come on, you walked into the house and mama is cooking this meal and you didn't even know you were hungry and all of a sudden you're hungry and you go over to her and she starts slapping your hand. Don't, 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 I'm cooking. Don't, don't snack on that. Don't eat that. It'll be ready here in a little bit. But, but all of a sudden the aroma just caused this hunger that you didn't even know you were hungry to rise up within you. See, we all need the fresh bread of heaven that God's cooked in the kitchen of prayer to rise up as a fresh aroma in our lives that when people get around us, they say, something's different about you. I got to have what you have. What are you doing? And you just tell him, I'm laying more of me on the altar of God. God is killing me. He's destroying my, my flesh, my pride. He's transforming my life. Because hunger is what attracts the presence of God. Jesus said this. He said, blessed. Do you hear that? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Then he makes a statement. They shall be filled. Well, let me just ask you. Filled with what? Filled with his presence. Filled with his life. Filled with his goodness. Filled with the aroma of heaven. You are satisfied. See, why do we need to hunger and pursue his presence? Let me give you quick, three quick points. Because in the presence of God, we gain the seed of his character. See, following Christ is about relationship. His presence is about relationship. And his presence transforms us on the inside. And we literally begin developing the character of his likeness when we hang out with him. Number two, in the presence of God, we gain the, his heart for the harvest. See, as we hunger and pursue his presence, we get his heart for the lost people. People all around us that are going to spend eternity without Jesus Christ if you don't tell them. I catch his heart for the lost. And number three, in his presence, we gain the reality of his dream, his purpose for our life. See, in his presence, we begin to discover, what am I here for? Am I here just to work? No. Because the Bible says, in him we live and move and have our being. And let me just say this, his dream for you is bigger than your dream. But you were created on purpose, with a purpose. You're not an accident, you're not a mistake. God has a plan for your life. But listen, in his presence, we gain the seed of his character. We gain the, his heart for the revival or the harvest. And third, we gain his heart for his purpose in our dream. And I don't know about you, but I want to be passionate in my pursuit of him. You see, why is, why is passion so important? Because your level of passion will determine your level of impact. I don't care who you are, if, you're, if you love Jesus or you don't love Jesus, you'll never have an impact in life without passion. Something gets you up in the morning. Something causes you to press in and continue when you just want to give up. Something within you motivates you. Passion is important. 
God help us not to live complacent, not to live apathetic. Help us to burn with passion for his presence and get hungry and more hungry for his presence that's saying, God, I'm just not satisfied with church that went last week. That was a great service last week. Thank you, thank you, thank you. But God, I've got to have more. I've got to have more. I need you more. I need you more. And let me just say this. Sinners don't want to come to a church where people ain't passionate about worshiping Jesus. If you're not passionate about Jesus, why should they be passionate about Jesus? Listen, the world will come to Jesus when they see we're worthy of his passion. And let me just say this. He is worthy of our passion. Come on, wave at me. Say, he's worthy of my passion. Because you know this. Wherever you've been, God has already been where you've been. He's here today. He's here in your future. He's in your past. God is everywhere. You know what we call that? We call that the omnipresence of God. And you say, well, Pastor Bill, if, if God is everywhere, why do I need to pursue him? Why do people say, well, God's going to show up? Why do we say God's going to do something amazing right now in your life? Well, because there's dimensions of the presence of God. And you've got to distinguish between the dimensions of his presence so you'll know how to pursue his presence. So here's what David said. The first one is this, his abiding presence. Everybody say abiding. Here's what David said. Where can I flee from your presence? I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, you're there. See, so you can't get away from God. And you know, he doesn't go where just the Christians are. He goes where the sinners are. He's sitting right now with sinners weeping over their lifestyle. And you need to understand, you can't, nothing can separate you from the love of God. Not what you feel, not what you see. Nothing can separate you from God. Here's the, here's the second thing. There's, there's, first of all, it's the abiding presence, but then there's the indwelling presence. Here's what the Word of God says. I'm just going to touch on this briefly because I could preach a whole sermon on this. Greater is he that's within me than he that's in the world. Come on, put your hand on their belly and say, oh, man, he's in me. You didn't get his pinky. You got the, all of the deity of God in you. Hello, come on. All right, moving on. Then there's third is the dwelling presence. This deals with the fact that God doesn't just dwell in people. He can dwell in places. Just as powerfully as he's been in this room today, just as powerfully he's been in your life today, listen, he wants to be in your house, he wants to be in your room, he wants to be in your car, he wants to be in your office space. See, people can walk in your house and they say, man, there's something different here. What is that? They'll walk past your office space and they, they'll, they'll pause and say, whoa, something is different here. What is it? It's the presence of God that you're bringing with you. Here's the fourth dimension. It's a supernatural presence. It's his manifested presence. Everybody say manifested presence. This is where his presence becomes very real and tangible to you. His glory, his weightiness, his presence becomes so heavy on us. And let me tell you, Satan doesn't want the people of God to operate, to experience the manifest presence of God. When I'm talking about hungering for his presence, I'm not saying God is not here. I'm not saying God is not around your life. I'm saying there's so much more that you've yet to experience. And you're only going to get there when you start hungering. Because your hunger draws God near. See, it's possible for God to come to a place but not a city. It's possible for God to visit one person in a church and, and not another. This is why God can be moving. And others don't feel that. Why don't they feel that? Because they're not hungry. 
It's like Micah to David. David is making a fool out of himself because the presence of God, the manifested glory of God is coming to his city, is coming back to Jerusalem. God was already in Jerusalem. He's omnipresent, but the manifest presence, and he's acting like a fool, and she's like, what are you doing? She says, I don't care. Your your opinion doesn't matter. I'm pursuing my God. It's like the day of Pentecost in Acts 2. The omnipresence of God was all over Jerusalem. But the manifest presence of God was only in the upper room with the 120 passionate seekers of God. See, but when the manifest presence comes upon people, others are going to go, man, why are they so excited? What's wrong with them? Why do they cry when they pray? Why do they shake? Why do they fall down? Why are they laughing? I'll tell you. Why? It's because they pressed in past the veil. The veil has been torn in two, and God says, now I want to get to you. And they pressed in, and God's met them, and they're experiencing the manifest presence of God. Come on, say this when we say, I'm hungry. Say, I'm hungry for the presence of God. Say, there's more. Come on, look at the person beside you and say, there is more. It's my prayer that we desire to operate 24-7 in the manifested presence of God. Let me share my last point. Here's number two. Here's another way to develop a deeper hunger. First of all, desire the presence of God. God, I'm hungry for your presence. If you stay hungry, it may take a season to him to manifest himself, but I promise you, he will respond to hunger. But here's another way to get hunger is get around people who are hungry for God's presence. You know, fire on, uh, logs on the fire burn out when they're not mixed with other logs. See, when you get around people like here at church and they're passionately worshiping God, they're praying passionately, they're spending time in their quiet time with God, you know what it does? It provokes us. We need some healthy, spiritual, religious, righteous provoking in church today. We need to be provoked that there's more. Because there's always a greater level of hunger. There's always a greater level of his presence. And when you get around hungry people, you find yourself just wanting more of God. And maybe it just reveals your complacency. Maybe it reveals how hungry you are. And see, religion will say, oh, you don't need to be that radical, that passionate, that emotional. That's just sensationalism. See, that is what the religious, the law said on the day of Pentecost. But the 120, passionate 120, they drew the crowd because of their passion. They brought the manifest presence of God. They really weren't coming to hear the crowd. They were drawn by the manifest presence of God in their life. But you know why they have that reaction? What are you getting so radical about? Usually, it's because others' passion are revealing their lack of passion. That they didn't really even know until they got around somebody that was passionate. And let me just say this. God is not revealing it to condemn them. He's revealing that to provoke them to stir them up on the inside to get hungry for him because he wants to be near them as much as he's near the passionate one. God's desire, the Bible says he is passionately pursuing you. He's jealous over you. You mama, you dad, 
you. He wants you. You know, it's interesting that dingy, you can have a dingy garment, and a dingy garment looks pretty good around other dingy garments, doesn't it? But then you get your dingy garment around a white garment, and you're like, oh, this thing isn't quite as white as I thought it was. Here's the definition of dingy. I love this. It means dull. Have we lost our spiritual edge? Our spiritual passion? It means dull. It means dirty color or lacking of brightness. You know what the Bible calls that? It's called lukewarm. Here's the thing about lukewarm people. Lukewarm people can fit around hot people really well because they kind of know some of the lingo. Lukewarm people can fit around the cold or the world because they kind of know some of the lingo of the world. And the world won't get on them because they're, they kind of look like them, talk like them, act like them a little bit. And the same thing with the hot. You kind of, oh, so we think you're one of us. But here's the thing. When you're lukewarm, you get neither of the benefits of either one. You don't get the benefits of enjoying sin for a season. You don't get the benefits of God's nearness and his presence. So let me just tell you my journey that Patrice and I kind of have been on. Can I, can I share that with you? A few years ago, Patrice got hungry for God. And one day I walked in the living room and she's sitting on the couch just weeping and crying out to God, crying for more of God. God, I'm asking you for transformation. God, I'm asking you to do something new, something fresh in my life. And beside her is this pile of tissues, used tissues. And as I walked into the room, I bumped into something. It was like a physical wall. It was the presence of God. Literally, it felt like, boom, hitting a physical wall. And I thought, oh. And I kind of looked over and I thought, oh, that's cute. That's nice. And I kind of tiptoe back out of the room. The next day, the same thing. I walk into the living room. There she is on the couch. She's crying out for more of God. Tears running down her face. A a stack of used tissues that are right beside her. And she's saying, God, I want more of you. God, I've got to have more of you. God, you've got to do a deeper work in my life. I'm so dissatisfied with where you're at, where I'm at. God, I've got to be near you. The same thing happened. Boom. I hit that wall like a physical wall again. This time I'm tiptoeing back out. As I turn to walk away, all of a sudden this thought came into my head, Phil, you've lost your hunger. You are no longer hungry for me. And I don't know about you, but it's easy to live the Christian life on autopilot, especially if I've been saved all of my life. Doesn't mean I'm perfect. I've made mistakes. I grew up in church. It's easy, again, to fit in with those who are on fire. It's, it's easy kind of to fit in with the, the world so you don't get persecuted as much. But God began visiting me. And I began saying, God, bring back my hunger. God, bring back my hunger for your presence. I've got to have your nearness. I've got to have your manifest presence in my life. God, I am so hungry. God, I am desperate. And really, that's what hunger is about. 
It's about a desperation that rises up within us and say, I'm not satisfied with this Christianity that I'm living. God, there's more. There's a deeper level. There's a deeper touch. God, there's something more that I need from you. God, I'm desperate. i got to have this. So I begin crying out to God. And you know what happened? God met me. I had an encounter with God in my bedroom that I'll never forget, that literally has changed the trajectory of my life. Patrice's hunger, her righteous provoking, her her hunger provoked me. And because of that, I got hungry. And because of our hunger for God, God is changing the trajectory of our lives. If you would have told me two years ago that we'd be doing what we're doing today, I'd say there's no way. We're not traveling the nation. We're not going all over America. And I want to tell you, there is a move of God happening in America today. All over the place. There are hungry people. There are moves of God popping up here and popping up there. And people are saying, God, we're desperate for you. God, we're hungry. We've got to have a move of God. The church is a mess. And not that there's some gross sin. Maybe there is. I don't know. But the reason we're a mess is because we're just not hungry for God like we used to be. But all over America, God is moving. <laughs> And people who are naysayers say, oh, there's no hope for America. Can America be turned back to God? I'm telling you, yes. I'm telling you the best days, the best days are ahead of us, not behind us. But let me give you a word of caution here today. Church, if we don't come to an altar and begin laying some things on the altar, and hear me, I'm not necessarily even saying they're big sins. Maybe you're here today and God's saying, lay that business deal on the altar. I'm not laying that business deal on the altar, God. No, that's going to make me a lot of money. But you don't see what God sees. And see, if you would lay it on the altar, probably what God will do, because I just know God, he's done this in our season of our lives. I promise you what he'll do, he'll give it back to you in a greater measure than you ever thought you could have had while you were doing it in your own strength. Some of you need to lay your marriage on the altar. Say, Pastor Bill, don't I need to fight for my marriage? No, but your issue is you need to quit fighting the way you're fighting for your marriage. Ask yourself, the way you're fighting, is it really changing? And listen, I know this. If I keep doing what I'm doing and it ain't working, but I keep doing that, I'm insane. Listen, church, let's just realize what we're doing as a church is not working. Our culture is going to hell in a handbasket because we as a church are not doing what God's called us to do, and that's pursuing his presence because in his presence we catch his heart for the lost. In his presence we catch the seed of his character. He begins changing me, and I get the aroma of heaven. I start carrying the bread of his presence everywhere I go, and people look at me and say, what is wrong with you? What's up with you? And you share the love of Jesus with them. So as I close this, I want to ask you a quick question. Is there a greater level of hunger that you can develop? And in case you don't know the answer for that, let me give you the answer. (laughs) Yes. But God is not going to make you hungry without your cooperation. 
But I believe every single one of us, me included, we need a hunger for his presence. Think about this. We read the Bible, but we forget the context that it was written in. In one generation, everybody hold your finger up and go one. They changed the world. In Ephesians, they mocked them and said, those who have changed the whole world have come here too. Talking about Paul. In one generation, they reached the known world. Now, everybody wasn't reached, but there was a gospel presence in all of that region of the world. In one generation, they didn't have TV, they didn't have radio, they didn't have no internet. Word of mouth, life. All because 120 people in an upper room got hungry for his manifest presence, and he came and he manifested them and shook a whole nation, changed the trajectory of history. But there was a sacrifice they had to pay. There's always a cost for holiness. And can I tell you, if you don't pay the price, you're paying a greater price than you ever would have paid if you didn't for not leaving that on the altar. We cannot afford the price we'll pay without leaving that pet sin on the altar. And some of you here today, your issue is not your pet sin. Your issue is accountability. You got to open your heart up and you got to get real with someone. Because, see, God's not going to do for you what he's already done for you on the cross. He said it's finished. You're, you're free because of the cross of Jesus. Now, you got to walk that out. And how do we walk that out? Many times we got to get people around us walking it out. If you're here and your marriage is struggling, but you haven't shared that with anybody, I challenge you today, get with other couples that are strong in their marriage and say, hey, will you mentor us? Will you help us? Don't let Pastor John or Pastor Gwen do that. You do that. You're responsible to grow yourself. He's not responsible to grow you up. You're responsible to grow yourself up. Well, I don't like this church because they just don't feed me. Well, you didn't feed yourself. That's why you don't like this place. Sorry. I close. Why don't you stand? I want to ask you two questions real quick. Pastor John gave me permission to do this. I want to give you an opportunity if you're here. Every head bowed and every eye closed. If you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want to tell you, you're missing out on the most incredible love relationship you will ever enter into. He's not mad at you. He's not disappointed in you. Jesus is passionately in love with you. You're missing out on the greatest love relationship you will ever experience. He will love you on your best day, but most importantly, he'll love you on your worst day. If you've never done that, I want you real quick just to lift up your hand. I want to ask you, will you surrender your life to Jesus? Put your hand up high. Is there anyone? Yes, I see that hand. Is there anyone else? Yes, yes. Is there anyone else? Thank you. Young man in the back, thank you. Is there anyone else? I just want to give you an opportunity. Okay, you can put your hands back down. Here's what I want to ask the rest of us. Will you allow God to stir up a desperation within you, a hunger for his presence. I'm telling you, if you will get hungry for God, Pastor John will preach the best messages you ever heard him preach. And he's a phenomenal preacher. But your hunger level will pull it out of him. The Spirit of God will just download things in him. And it wasn't for him. It was for you. If you're here 
You raise your hand just a minute. I'm going to ask you to come with everybody else up here. And Pastor John gave me permission to pray with people, and I want to pray with you one-on-one. And if you would, if you'll come up here to my right, your left. If you raise your hand, I want to pray with you in just a minute. But if you're here and you say, Pastor Phil, I, I need some fresh hunger in my life. And if you're willing, listen to me. you got to give God something to burn up. There's going to be no fire in your life. Patricia and I, in the season that we're walking through, I'm, I'm ashamed to say this, y'all. I'm, I'm, I'm embarrassed to say this. But these last two and a half years, we have fasted more than I have my entire life. I, I'm ashamed to say that because Jesus didn't say, if you fast, he said, when you fast. There's something about prayer and fasting that attracts the presence of God like nothing else. That's why part of the movement we're in, our three key words are pray, fast, stand. It's time we stand. We get our voice back. But if you're here, you say, Pastor Phil, I I want some more hunger in my life. I'm asking God to meet me here at this altar and deposit fresh hunger in my life. And you raise your hand to invite Jesus Christ in your life. If you all would come up at the same time and just across this altar right now, if you'll come, I want to pray with you one-on-one. I want to pray with you personally. You're just saying, Pastor Phil, that's me. Is there anyone else? If you raise your hand in the back, young man, I want to encourage you to come forward. Come forward. We're going to pray for you. But if you'll just begin lifting your hands to the Lord and just begin crying out, God, I need more of you. God, I want more of you. God, I'm hungry for you. God, I just pray, Father, that the desperation of the Holy Spirit will rise up with them. God, it just takes one in the church. God, you don't need a whole group of people. God, may they be the one person that starts the fire, that starts the passion for Jesus, that just spreads to this entire church, God. You just need one. You're not looking for the many, like Gideon's army. You didn't need a whole bunch of people. You just needed someone that was surrendered to you. And God, we just say thank you this morning for fresh passion being poured out in this house. Thank you for a fresh passion that we're saying, God, I'm willing to lay whatever you speak to me to say. I'm willing to lay that on the altar. I'm willing to allow my flesh to be crucified a little bit more. I'm willing to make more room for you. Because listen, if you will make more room for God, you'll get more of God. The reason we don't got more of God in our life is we're not making room for him. We're all full. We're full up with the world. We're full up with our own pleasures. We're full up with entertainment. We're full up pursuing religious duties, religious things. And listen, this is a season that we got to make sure we're hearing God. And so, Lord, we thank you. So we just come before you today. Come on, just cry out. Just let a desperation arise up within you. Say, Lord, I'm hungry. God, I'm desperate. Come on, will you just let him deposit a desperation within you this morning, right now? I'm going to pray with you.